My name is Kevin Hines. I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. I believed that I had to die, but I lived. Today, I travel the world with my lovely wife, Margaret, sharing stories of people who have triumphed over incredible adversity. Now, we help people be here tomorrow. Welcome to the Hindsights Podcast. All right, so I'm here with a guest, a special guest. We had a moment at the... Sorry, this is like a really fast, like, non-introduction. Welcome back. Uh, thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening. We had a moment at um, the Logan Paul and KSI round two, I guess, boxing match. Number two. And it was the first time that I met you? Yes. Uh, but go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Kevin Hines. I'm a storyteller, author, and filmmaker. Uh, and in the year 2000, because of depression and bipolar disorder... I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge to try to take my life. Uh, it was the worst year of my life. It was the worst day of my life. I believed that I had to die. I believed I was worthless. And I attempted to take my life in a way that is 99% fatal. Only, only 39 people in the last 83 years have ever survived that fall. And only five of us can stand, walk, and run. They actually call us the most exclusive survivors club in the world. There's a book of the same name by Ben Sherwood. And so uh, today, uh, my wife and I make films about suicide prevention, hope, healing, and recovery. And we do uh, the YouTube page, Kevin Hines. And we try to help people change their lives through the power of story. Wow. Like, it's fucking... Man. Um, yeah, this, this, is, this is definitely a sensitive, like a close topic to me for, um, for a lot of reasons, but... I mean, when I, when I first talked to you about this, and I knew about your story before I had read into you, um, I, I don't, I don't want to make this just about this, but um, I always had the question when I thought about, like, my father taking his life was, uh, like, before you did it, because you literally, you did it. Yeah. It just didn't happen. Right. Like, you jumped off the fucking Golden Gate Bridge, which is, like you said, damn near impossible to survive. But you're there. You're here now. Um, like as you're doing it, what goes through your head? And we, I know, I kind of went right into it, so I apologize. But like, no, no, that's that's it. okay. Let's let's be honest and real about it. The millisecond my hands left that rail, there was an instantaneous regret for my actions, and I had what I call a one hundred percent recognition that I just made the greatest mistake of my life. It was too late. And here's the thing, like, Brad. Of the, of the 39 Golden Gate Bridge jump survivors, there's only about 25 who remain alive today. Many of them have natural causes in old age, right? Of the people that are alive today that have attempted off that bridge, 19 of the 25 that remain alive have all come forward to say they had the same instantaneous regret that I did. Same regret. And that goes to show us that our thoughts do not have to become our actions. And that people can recognize that their thoughts don't have to own, rule, or define their next action in suicidal crisis, they can always remain here. They can be here tomorrow and every day after that. And that's, that's the message that my camp puts out, is that the mental struggles don't have to be a life sentence. They don't have to take you to suicide. They have to take you to hope with hard work. And that's how I stabilize. Like, I've been struggling for a long time with my mental capacity. And it, it is devastating when I'm unwell to my family and friends. It's devastating. They're, they're crushed. And I fluctuate up and down with bipolar disorder. 
So it's it's not an easy road to or a pathway to, to, to be guided on. But you know, my wife takes care of me. My father's there for me. My peers are, are connected to me, and I have developed a, a close personal protector network of people who've got my back when I was struggling. But here's the biggest thing: I'm honest when I am struggling about my pain. I, I believe a pain shared can be a pain had. You know, I believe if we talk about our pain and our struggles, we can always survive it. Why do you think you didn't talk about it prior to like? Because I don't know if you necessarily. Sorry, I don't. I can't. I can't assume that. I don't know if you didn't talk about it prior to doing, but to, to attempting suicide, did you? I was silent in my pain for the most part. I, I was having hallucinations, auditory and visual, seeing and hearing things that nobody else could see. I used to see like death himself hover through my window. Did you, did you, did you what, what do you think led to all this? So, so I'm adopted. Okay. My biological parents had the same brain diagnosis that I do. They called it manic depression in their day in the 70s. They call it bipolar disorder now. Okay. So I was, I was at the very least genetically predisposed to the disease twice. But to be fair, Brad, that's the, that's the name given by doctors, by men, you know? This is something that you could call bipolar disorder, or you could just call it what I call it, brain pain. And I was susceptible to it because my birth parents did a lot of drugs and drank a lot of alcohol, and they died very young, very tragically, of, of their mental health. And... Um, you know, if I could go back in time to give them a sort of advice, I would, I would tell them, hey, you know, you, you, you've got kids to raise and to take care of. You've got to fight that pain so you can survive it. But, you know, I know it's not that simple. Yeah. You know, um, I... It's definitely not that simple. No, it's not that simple. But, but, but in, a, in, a, in a wishful world, you know, you want to go back and, and change things. But um, who knows where I would have ended up. But... I got adopted by a beautiful family, given this great child, tra tra tragic infancy, it was, it was terrifying. Like, you know, left unattended where they went to do score and sell drugs, left in city motel bed, uh, beds with drug paraphernalia, sharp enough objects could have, if we had touched, could have killed us, me and my brother. Um, in a situation where I was born in a squalor, uh, concrete slab floor, box spring for a mattress, that kind of thing. And, and I survived that to get adopted by a beautiful family. And I thought, I'm gonna live in, have this great life, you know, I, I have opportunity now, you know, my mom and dad. At what age was this? This was, this was, I was taken in at nine months of age by Pat and Debbie Hines, okay. and they would become a mom and dad, and, and growing up in that household, the first 30 uh, days of me being in that house, I was violently ill all day, every day. I was so sick every single day, and nobody, no doctor could tell that Pat and Debbie why I was so sick, until one doctor came forward and said, there's nothing physically wrong with your child, it's all emotional, nine months of age. I had a distended belly filled with liquid, a bruise from the top of my sternum to the bottom of my abdomen for being malnourished because my birth parents fed me what they could steal. Kool-Aid, Coca-Cola, and sour milk was my first diet. So I was a mess. And if we know, what we know today is that it wasn't just emotional and mental struggles as an infant because the food I was being fed yeah, was wrecking my brain. Yeah. My gut to brain health ratio was horrible because of the, you know, it was just, I was just, a mess. And so I get to Pat Larry Hines, I'm sick for 30 days, and then everything starts to get better. I realize I'm home, you know, and and growing up in that household was a beautiful thing. And I thought, how could anything go sideways from here? We're gonna have a great life. And then at 17 and a half, my brain broke. It just broke. I was on stage, I was a theater kid, I was on stage at Reardon High School performing in the show. Wait a second. Yeah. Wait a second. Yeah. You went to Reardon? Yeah. 
Do you know I went to Reardon? No, I didn't know you went to Reardon. Oh, yo. That's <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> Holy did. shit, dude. My dad went there, too. Yeah, so did mine and dropped out. Wow. That's fucking weird. What year? My dad, I have no idea. I don't know. No, no, what, what year were you? Were you? Oh, oh, 07 or 08? Something like that. Yeah, oh, 07 or 08. Oh, 07, I think. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's fucking trip. funny. I graduated. Nice. Yeah, and then, and then I went to Sac State. That's funny though, right? You said that, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then I guess my dad went there for a few years because like his grandma or something was paying for it and they eventually dropped out. Okay. But yeah, that's fucking weird. That's your San Francisco that's shit. San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> I graduated in 2000. Damn. Wow, yeah, you, I was seven, I was, yeah, I think it was 07, so I was seven years behind you. Wow. Yeah, fucking, that's, that's weird as shit. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so you, you, how'd you like the school? I liked it. You know, it was the only school I picked. So I picked it because my dad went there and he graduated in 67. I think just, they just picked it for me. Yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't apply to any other schools. My dad was real worried. He was like, hey, you know, what if you don't get into this school? I was like, well, I'll, I'll get what I'm going to take, you know? And I, and I went there and I enjoyed it. Um, I wrestled, uh, WCL wrestling champion, played football, football team on the state. Um, was on the speech and debate team. They kicked me off. So that. you were doing, you were you were physically active. You were doing stuff, but at yeah. seventeen, you were on stage. I'm on stage. You were doing theater. Was hold on. Was the teacher um, th that woman? Mrs. R Mrs. Reardon was was the teacher when you had her, but it was Mr. Fennell when I was there. Okay. And he, he actually took his life too. He's in my he's in my movie Suicide the Ripple Effect, and um, I, I'm on stage, and, I'm, and this is the moment that everything changed. I'm on stage, I'm performing in this show called How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. I'm playing this character called Gash, and I look out into the crowd, and I begin to believe in a fit of extreme paranoid delusion that everyone there is gonna simultaneously rise, rush the stage, and end my life. So, so it's how, it, think of it like, um, you know, okay, mild to moderate paranoia is for anybody, right? You know, worried about going on a plane, worried about, yeah. You're driving, getting in a car accident, those kinds of things. Or you get too high and you're like, oh shit, like something's gonna happen. Something's gonna happen. For me, my paranoia that I face and have faced for a long time come in the form of, of really in, in the extreme. I get to a point where I believe that entire groups of people are plotting to end my life, and it, it's, it's, it's. Is this, it's, is this um, common? This is common with bipolar type 1 with psychotic features. This, is, this would be part of the psychotic features. Okay, so when I see things and hear things that nobody else can see or hear, which happens all the time. Visualize. Visualize. No, no. That, like I can see, hear, smell, like all my senses, they're there. It's, it's, and, it's, and it's not there. It's not there. Okay. And, and so I would see like, you know, when I was really going through it but not telling anybody, I would see death himself hover through my window. What you would consider death, right? Yeah, you know, like, like what you, you know, like you see in the movies, like Grimmie. That's Grimmie. what you would see. Like, 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 I would see that. He had a Coming, scythe? He had a scythe, right bony arm. Right bony arm with a scythe. And he comes in and his other bony arm turns up and he says, come home with me. And it would happen Monday through Monday, but I wouldn't tell anybody. I mean, my dad, my dad would be in the next room, but I wouldn't tell anybody. Because I was so afraid. How long would that last? Oh my God. I would be paralyzed in my bed looking at death. It would, be, it would be a quick, you know, 30 second to a minute situation. And then he would disappear, but then he'd come back every night. You know, it was terrifying. And that was just one of the many, many hallucinations that I would have struggling with bipolar disorder. Uh, and I would, I would have hallucinations of pterodactyls, of my, my ceiling opening up before me and pterodactyls flying above. 
I would have hallucinations. At least these had to be things that you've seen before, right? You know, one of the things we know about hallucinations is that what we see visually impacts what we see in, in the hallucination. So the movies you see, the yeah. comics you read, the characters you know similar about. Similar to dreams. Similar to dreams, yeah. yeah. Yeah, whatever passes our ocular front could be later used stored as a memory. As stored as a memory, and your brain brings it up in different ways. Absolutely, which is why I probably I would see death looking so much like something from the movies. Yeah, you know, um, or you watch a lot of Jurassic Park or pterodactyl. So, yeah, exactly, and that's okay. that's absolutely a, probably a reason that that would come up like yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when you're you're on the stage and these people like you're you're performing whatever you're doing, you're looking out. Are, like, do you see them coming towards you? Or no, you just, I just, you have I, I, I have the sense that at any moment they're coming for me and they're going to kill me. And so I ran, off, I ran off stage, I ran to the lobby, John met me in the lobby, the, the theater director, and he says, Heinz, can you please finish the performance? It's not even intermission yet, what are you doing? And I just babbled incoherent nonsense for the next 10 minutes because I couldn't make out three words in a row that made sense without stuttering or stammering. And this was the first time where it, like, should hit the fan for you? Yeah, that was the first time where everybody was like, okay, Kevin's really unwell. You know, yeah. Kevin's really unwell, he needs help. And then shortly thereafter, I saw my first psychiatrist, and this guy, you know, he was trying to help me out, he was trying to do right by me, but um, I wasn't following a treatment plan, I was 17. You know, I was going out binge drinking on, on the weekend until blackout, this many times until, you know, until it happened, and I was, it wasn't trying to get higher for the buzz, I was trying to stop the voices in my head. You know, trying to avoid it. I was trying to avoid it at all costs. And I, I always say to people... Did that help? No, it was terrible. Taking psychotropic medications while, on, while drinking alcohol, it's a terrible idea and can be very dangerous. And I did it a handful of times. It, it was something that could have... So you got on medication at 17? I did, yeah. After that, seeing that psychiatrist on medication, um, was taking it, you know, but I was taking it one day and not the next. Seven days, not for seven days, while binge drinking, which is not how you do it, right. you know. And so it would take me to, I would end up, you know, just on this really rocky, rocky road until 19 years of age, when it all just came to a head, and I, I thought I had to die. And I thought, At no, yeah, I thought this, this is it. I can't, I can't bear this weight anymore. It's too heavy. The depression is too heavy. And I just, I wish I recognized back then what I told you earlier that my thoughts didn't have to become my actions, you know? Because it wouldn't have taken me to the Golden Gate Bridge. I would have gone to my father that morning and said, Dad, I need help. And that, that I think, is what is the message I want to impart to your audience. Because we know there's so many people struggling out there with, with suicidal thoughts and depression. The CDC is about to come out with a new report and another uptick of, of, of suicides, another rise in suicides, yet yet now the third year in a row. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's now like all this, like, there's less cancer deaths, there's less, like, other... Deaths from, from certain sources, but suicides is like it's on the rise exponentially increased. It's terrible in the military, in law enforcement. It, uh, you know, er, er, dentists are dying a large rate by suicide. So are doctors. Uh, it, we're really in a, in a in a bad place as it comes to people and their struggles. What do you think is What do you think is exacerbating it? What do you think is making it worse? One of the biggest things I think that is exacerbating suicidal ideation and thought processes. Uh, is I think the technolo technological age, and I don't mean I don't mean social media in particular because that that's that's not actually been proven. I mean that I mean that we live in a society where you, you, you can get anything you need right now directly to you, but the, the one thing we are lacking now more than human anything connection. else is human connection. 
is real, real, per like this right here. This is us connecting and, and enjoying each other's time. And, and, and we're missing that in everyday life and we're forgetting about it. And people that are younger who came so up, real. yeah, people that are younger that came up with just these new technologies never even learned that in the first place. So they didn't learn how to interact with people and they never learned about social, emotional, and mental health. Yeah, it's crazy now. It's just everyone is just, is they're glued to this. How many times you go to dinner and you see everyone is on the phone? Yeah. Everyone is like, and it's like, you're missing. You're seeing families sitting at a dinner table at yeah, a public completely restaurant, disconnected. completely disconnected. And it's like, but you see that everywhere. everywhere. And you're right. You talk about kids who, like, I remember, I didn't get a phone until, I, I don't know, I was like, it must have been, well, our phones were different back then. Either, yeah. So it didn't even have like all these apps or any of this stuff. It was just like, I had like a Nokia with Snake or some shit. <laughs> yeah. I had a sidekick. Um, which was just texting, but it's there was not this like there's like games and social media and all these different things that glue you to this. Yeah. You're like Twitter, you want to be updated on like what the rest of the world is doing, but we forget like it's like well, okay, what about me and you? Yeah, because like you, that's I think that's one of the most interesting things is like everyone is constantly looking out at like what everyone else is doing in their life or what everyone else has like successes or like problems or shit going on in the news and a lot of it's a very like kind of like news in particular negative and then other people you see on social you're like well people have things that maybe you don't have because typically that's what people post on social yeah. you post things that you're proud of your highlight reel yeah and and then everyone like you see it all and then you have less of your own interaction with like people in your life and the crazy thing is like to achieve or to get those things or to have the cool things like you need this yeah to, to, to move yourself forward but it's like it's just, people are so busy looking outwards yeah that they that they miss this and then and then they feel like they're constantly getting further and further behind because they, they see more and more outward it's just such a weird fucking dynamic how like the world has gone this way and then kids now have phones when they're like fucking 10 yeah and they're the comparing themselves they're, they're already watching everyone. YouTube like kids <laughs> it's been a thing where like they're crying and they're like oh here just Yep, yep, yep. and they're like fucking four year olds who just like staring at screens and know how to use the phone Yeah, and it's like they're just going to grow up into that and, and then what's going to happen with like interpersonal connection and relationships not just that we've proven that, that those devices are, are in themselves inherently addictive so it's ridiculous as fuck it's giving, so bad I'm fucking addicted to it I'm not, I'm not no, even saying I'm, I'm totally no yes but, but if you're an adult who's not been raised with that proportion of your life you've had that grounding, that yeah. that that that, that, base. that base level. Yeah. Um, but if you're a child who has been looking at the screen since four years of age, and you know how to do everything on it, you're someone who who is addicted to that at such a young age, and and there's no there's no recourse for like your crying or your whining or your upset tone. You just you're given the device to be quiet as opposed to actually being raised. Yes, yeah, that's it's a bit it's a huge problem. It's fucking wild, man. Like I, I feel like this whole suicide thing is only going to get worse coming from that generation when people yeah. start to realize like like almost like no sense of self because it's they have no fulfillment they have no, no sense of self no fulfillment and and they believe they have no hope when they're in pain because they were never taught how to be resilient we were taught how to be resilient we were taught how to be tough in the face of struggle at least I know I was that was forced to you was, right well exactly yeah. you didn't grow up that way certainly after what happened to your dad yeah but, but, um, and but, I'm grateful for that now. Now I can say I'm grateful mm -hmm. for that. Back then, obviously, I was like, what the fuck? Like, why do I have to deal with this? Why is this my reality? And you mm -hmm. see other people who don't have it that way. You're like, how come they got this fucking bad? Um, 
but now looking back, like it just took me years and years to realize how much like it has made my life exactly what it is today, which is, is amazing and I'm grateful for it. I still have a ton of moments where I'm like, fuck, you know, I wish I could share this, I wish I could show this um, with that person. Um, but at the same time, I have so many like more people in my life directly, but also indirectly because of social media that I'm able to like share um, my life with and what I've learned with. And that's why like, the main reason why like, I wanted you to come here was to talk about what you've gone through. And I wanted you to talk about how you've gotten through it. Cause I know there's a lot of people out there that I've had interactions with like fans, just even on, you know, I, um, my first podcast back, I, I explained a situation I had with a fan who was going to take his life and it didn't. And, yeah. and I met him in person and I talked to him. I just talked um, to him yesterday. Yeah. And like it, you come from a real, like you did it. And so the reason why I kind of went into that right away was like, that's what I think is so important to see, like for people listening and for people, for people watching is you literally got all the way to that point through, it sounds like a whole host of things that have gone on in your life and things you still struggle with today. And you literally ended your life, but you didn't pass because of you, it's a miracle apparently. Yeah. And now you're here and you're able to say that instantly you, 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 you're like, this is terrible. Cause like the people who end it, there's no, obviously there's no, there's no recourse. There's yeah. nothing like, you can't sit and talk about it. You can't sit and have a conversation. That's the thing that I think is so important for, to get people to realize is like, uh, and that's why I asked the question when you, as soon as you started the, the jump, cause you had time to be like, oh fuck. Right. <laughs> right. So like, you know, I think about my dad and my dad hung himself. So he's like, obviously he didn't pass away right away. So I thought it's going through his head. He's probably like, oh fuck. But it's like, that's the thing that I want people to realize. Like it's, like if it's a gun or if it's something, because it's so instant, you know, like you're, you don't really have the time to think, but you had a very interesting way in which you did it, where you definitely had some time to think that you're like, this is fucked. Yeah. And I want people to understand that obviously no matter how shitty it can get, and you seem to have gone through, like, and like you say, you still deal with it. Um, I've never had to deal with bipolar disorder. I know I definitely deal with depression. I deal with heavy anxiety, but uh, never, never seen visually, never having to deal with that. And I'm grateful that I've never been there. Um, but for people listening, whatever scale it is, dealing with anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, you've obviously been there, you've experienced it, and you're still here. And you can tell people that obviously it was one of the, it would have, it would have been the worst mistake of your life. Yeah. I always tell and that's fucking, that, like, I think that's beautiful, man. The fact that, obviously it's like, it sucks that you went through it, but at the yeah. same time, like, that you're here to sit here and say that you literally did it, and yeah. it didn't happen, and you're like, that would have been the worst thing I could have ever done. Exactly, and, and, and it would have devastated my family to no end for the rest of their lives, and, and, and you know, I'm, I hold a great amount of gratitude for the fact that I survived, but that I learned my lesson. In the Were you like a superhero? No, it's crazy, man. Like how the fuck? Like that's a, no. Uh, it, it, it's it's it was a miracle, man. I, I don't know if you know the the story behind the the actual survival of it, but no. When, tell me when I when I when I when I went over the rail, a woman driving by in a red car saw me go over and called her friend in the United States Coast Guard from a Holy from shit. a car phone, who happened to be manning the waters of, of, of the bridge at that moment with his with his unit. The only reason the Coast Guard boat arrived to my position in the water before I would set in hypothermia and drown in a three-minute window before I would set in hypothermia and die it was because of that woman making that phone call. Next to that, in the water, before the Coast Guard boat arrived, the only reason I stayed above water for as long as I did 
was because a sea lion circled beneath me, bumping me up. Yeah, a sea lion circled beneath me, bumping me up until the Coast Guard boat arrived behind me. I thought it was a shark. And I was freaking out, punching this thing. Bro, there, there's, you're, <laughs> I'm not kidding. There is no fucking no, way. Let me break it down. So I think it's a shark, and I'm punching this thing, so I'm fearing that it's going to bite my leg off at any minute. This creature circled beneath me. Because I, I, I couldn't stay above water. I kept going down until this thing started circling, bumping me up and keeping me buoyant. You're telling me a fucking sea lion. A sea lion. Saved your life. Yes. Yes. This is Aquaman shit. I told you you were a fucking superhero, bro. It says it hard on a second. Let me tell you So, a year after the attempt, I was on a television program called ABC's Primetime Live with that guy John Quinones. Does that show what would you do? On the show, I said I thought there was a shark beneath me in the water. People wrote into the show and went online and viral from all over the world. One man's letter stuck out above all the rest. His name is Morgan McWhorter. He was from Las Vegas and he wrote, Kevin, I'm so very glad you're alive. I was standing less than two feet away from you when you jumped. Until this day, watching this show, no one would tell me whether you lived or died that day. He said, by the so way, he was, there. he was there, two feet away from me, taking pictures. He said, by the way, Kevin, there was no shark like you mentioned on the show, but there was a sea lion, and the people above looking down believed it to be keeping your body afloat until the Coast Guard boat arrived behind you. What the fuck? Yeah. It's yeah. just like, the odds of that are like, the odds of all this are really... When my father took me back a year later to the date of my attempt, the anniversary of my attempt, at 10 in the morning, the same time I had, I had attempted, to the Golden Gate Bridge to drop a flower off the bridge. Don't tell me it was a fucking sea lion. To find, you know, to find closure. To find closure. Oh, to find closure. We drop the flower after saying a prayer. It's a purple tulip with yellow inside. It wafts down, makes the tiniest ripple effect, which is why the name of the film we made is Suicide the Ripple Effect. And two feet to the right pop up a sea lion. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. Was, no. Yes. There's no fucking way. Yes. Did the, yes. Uh, dude, the, you, you play the lottery? No. No, I, I should. You should. I should. Because the odds of all this are fucking absurd. <laughs> I know. It's like one in fucking trillions. Yeah, man. The odds of that. It, but the, the biggest part is, I when I was entering the emergency ward, one of the foremost back surgeons on the West Coast was leaving for the day. He sees me, decides to basically do me a solid and stay. He does my surgery. The first and only surgery of its particular kind. He invented it for my situation. He goes through my left side. We have a 23 staple scar across my left side. He goes in and he takes a cylindrical or circular titanium cage of mesh wiring, wraps around with vertebrae work, takes out all the shattered pieces of vertebrae. I shattered my T3 vertebrae, my T12, L1, L2, completely shattered and dispersed. He took out all the pieces, meshed them into a paste, fused them with a, a circular titanium cage of mesh wiring, Four pins the size of my index finger and a metal plate the size of my palm on my left side. The only reason I get to stand, walk, and run. Because of some like brand new surgery that the guy came Because of some, like, he just came up with it and he was like, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, the odds, the, your odds, it's crazy. It's uh, nutty. That's why. It's like I, you're meant to tell the story. I'm meant to tell, you're you're meant, meant to, to not only tell the story. Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah. it's fucking wild, dude. It's so cool. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be here in front of you. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. Absolutely. It's a privilege to be. It's a privilege to be anywhere. Every moment of existence is a privilege, and that's what I try to help people understand: is no matter the pain you are in, you can survive it if you just believe. So, two and a half years ago, this is the kicker. Two and a half years ago, I developed a skin disease, second degree burns from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head without a fire. Medical burn. One of my medications poisoned my organs. Oh fuck! It was terrible. 
I have burns across my entire body. I can't eat, sleep. Uh, I, sometimes I can't walk. Bring myself to, to my knees. I'm crying all day long every day because it's so much pain. It's so much pain. For 30 weeks of that period of time, for 30 weeks, 24 hours a day, I felt like knives and needles were coming from my bones through what my skin across my entire body. Was this? this was caused by something called being on the tipping point of Stevens-Johnson syndrome. If you get Stevens-Johnson syndrome, you have a 1% chance of survival. I, what I, is that? That's, it's, it's, a med, it's, it's a medication-induced disease. So all medications can cause Stevens-Johnson's in some people. Who have the who have a predisposition to it? It's gonna be fucking anxiety just to think about this right now. I know, I know. <laughs> I know. Jesus. But I take medication every day to survive mentally, and I have to even now. Yeah. But how but, many medications are you on? Um, right now, uh, I mean four, and, it's, and I'm stabilizing. Like you, I'm having a conversation with you. I'm functioning. Yeah, I'm out of a psych ward. Like this is good. Um, but when I was going through this skin disease, they had to rip me from all meds simultaneously in 24 hours. I had a 73-hour hallucinatory withdrawal-based psychosis, which means it wasn't a mental health psychosis. It was a psychosis because they took me off all those meds simultaneously, yeah. and they were they were keeping my brain intact, right? So I was a mess. My wife had to take care of me. It was it was terrible. I saw things like I saw the answers to the universe, man. I saw in my room appeared Gandhi, the king of the king of Bhutan, Buddha, Jesus in like 50 different forms, and like. And the aliens, the gray, the white, and the green, uh, all the aboriginals who created the earth. It was insane, man. And then I saw an aurora borealis in my room for about, for about 48 hours. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it, was, it was unbelievable. So I've, I've, I've been through a lot in my life, yeah, to say the least. For sure. To say the least. But, but, but that level of gratitude that I hold today allows me to remember that no matter the pain, I can survive because I believe in myself. And that no matter how many times, and I still get suicidal. I get suicidal on a regular basis. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. I'm obviously going to let you finish, but the, the fact that you can say all that, experience all that, and then still say that you, you're able to survive and you can still be grateful for it, where do you find that? Because, oh. like, that's the real question. Because yeah. a lot of people deal with the stuff, yeah. and maybe not to the same degree, to different degrees, but they can't find that. Yeah. How do you how do you find that? How do you maintain that? Because obviously medications help you maintain certain things, and yeah. you know the diet's gonna help you maintain your gut health, your brain health. Yeah. But how do you? But that is still, no matter what. Like there's still a part of that for you to be like, okay, I'm gonna do these things mm -hmm. to be better. That requires you to fucking want to. Like how do you maintain that? I have to want to. I have to want it really bad, especially when I get suicidal again. To have that gratitude for being alive. I, I, I find that gratefulness from the love of people around me. So, you know, the love of my wife, love of my father to me, my mom to me, um, my sister, my, my family, my friends. Um, I find that gratitude every day that I can because I recognize that nobody is promised tomorrow. Hell, Brad, we're not promised the rest of today. Yeah. Anything could happen. And recognizing that allows me to realize my true passions in life and the true meaning of life. And that this life is the greatest gift we have ever been given or will ever be given no matter the pain we are in. I, I'm, I deal with three kinds of pain. The physical pain from my jump, which I still have every day. The metal plate is, is great, but it, I'm in back pain all day. Um, the pain from my skin disease, which comes and goes now, 
because I'm anemic, so it comes and goes and it bothers me. And then the brain pain, which is the most powerful. The brain pain is the stuff that is, of, of, it's legendarily painful. You know, it's, it's, it'll take you to your knees and, and, and you gotta stand back up. And if you don't, you'll be crushed. And that brain pain, I will not allow it to defeat me. I will not, I, I will, I can, you can do one of two things with any kind of pain. You can let it defeat you or you can let it build you brick by brick from the ground up. I choose the latter every time. But how, why? Like, how did you get that? You know, because it's I, I I fully believe. It. Yeah, I, I can't. I I wish I could describe exactly how I find it, but I think it's just a, I think it's a life experience, yeah. a lived expertise of like being there, going through it so much. I mean, I had to do a few years ago, 2011. I had to do 26 treatments of electroconvulsive therapy because I was so drastically suicidal. This was years after my attempt, so I was so drastically suicidal. They said we we don't know what to do for you. We have nothing else on the docket of things to balance your brain health to do for you. We have nothing else that can help save your, save your life. Why don't we try electroconvulsive therapy? And I was like, you're not gonna lobotomize me. And they're like, it doesn't work like that anymore. It's much more humane. We think it's gonna stop your chronic suicidal thoughts, at least temporarily. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and, and so the, within six treatments, I was feeling better again. And within 26 treatments, which is twice the amount of the full limit, because the, the full limit is 12. I did 26 treatments because it wasn't, it wasn't totally working. But after that 26 treatment was done, I was not um, all day, every day suicidal. And so it did, it did work. It did change my outcome um, and get me to come out of that situation. But I really, I look to people who hold value in me to remind me to have value in myself. And that's okay. You, you, you mentioned something in, in your last podcast um, about, about basically um, being defeated, but not, or accepting defeat, but not being completely defeated. Yeah. Right? And I, 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 I related to that a great deal um, because when I feel defeated, I turn to my wife and, and she'll say, no, you got this. Yeah. And gives me that ounce to go, okay, keep moving forward. And that's all we can do. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, dude, a part of like everything you've been through, like you experiencing and going through these things and essentially trying to take your life, I mean, actually taking your life and not, not passing away, like you, you went through those things, obviously in some, it's like a form of a defeat, but you're still here, yeah. you're still moving forward. Yeah. Like that, that's what I meant by like this whole, because it, it's one thing to say like, you know, you know, I can't lose or I won't lose and, and, and. And like, then when you get knocked down, you're like, okay, well, I'm gonna do something else or I'm gonna focus on something else. But I mean, I really mean this when I say it, like there's probably nothing in life that's worth having that you're gonna get right away. You're right. gonna fuck up a few times, you're gonna fail a few times. Fuck, I'm not even talking about just, just uh, you know, in the sense of suicide, just everything in your life. Like yeah. you're gonna have to be willing to take a loss and losing multiple times before you have a good outcome. Yeah. And obviously you were just, you were, you were, gifted this like insane like ability to have survived something so like insane that in, in such a crazy manner with a seal and a fucking the lady seeing it and like this whole story is, is nuts and I think may, maybe when I when I hear story I'm like maybe if when I think about it from the outside I'm like that alone should be like if you you're waking up after that you gotta be like fuck man there's nothing I can't <laughs> yeah try to figure out at least yeah. no matter what now comes my way that i mean that's got to have been like a, a major point where you're like well i i really like after the fact 
how long did it take till you realized like, oh, I'm here for I'm here for something mm-hmm. special? Well, I first looked at it like a failure is not a failure unless you if you, if you learn a lesson, right? And I learned a big lesson. I learned a lesson that 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 nothing could destroy my will to live. That's the first thing. Um, but to answer your question, um, I lost your question. It was how long afterwards of, of you doing that and like obviously yeah. recovery, did you realize like, oh fuck, like uh, there's something special here. Like, not, oh, not special yeah, like, like I'm fucking special. No, no, this, yeah, yeah. Like, when did you realize like, oh crap, like this is. So I think, I, I think it was the same time I realized I, I could have an impact on the world in a positive way. How long did that take? So that took, that took I, was, I was in the psych ward, the first psych ward, after my physical attempt, after my physical surgery where they replaced my back with, with titanium, I was in my first psych ward. And it was St. Mary's in San Francisco, and there was a Franciscan friar named Brother George Cherry. You know those guys with the black robes, yeah. the white robes, you know, yeah, yeah. all that? And, and he comes in, and this guy, for 30 years in the chapel of this hospital, he would always read the chart. He would always read the chart. He would never come in without reading the chart. He didn't read the chart when he came in my room. I'm putting on my back brace. I'm walking with a cane. How do you know that? He told you later? He told me later. Okay. So, so he goes, hey, kid, what are you in for? And I go, as I'm putting on my back brace, I go, oh, I, I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. And he goes, yeah, and I'm the Pope. He didn't believe me. He thought I was crazy. And I was yeah, like, your story's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, said, I said, no, brother, that's what I did. I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. That's why I had the back brace. That's why I'm walking with this cane. He goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I feel so bad. Let's pray. And he, so he comes over. He puts his hand on my forehead. He's holding the rosary with his other hand. And he goes, we say a couple prayers together. And, and, he, and he goes, uh, when you get out of here, kid, you want to talk about this. And I was like, about what to who? Okay, buddy. And I just brushed it off my shoulder. Like, this guy's tripping. I'm not going to tell this to anybody. I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm thoroughly embarrassed by what I did. And, and ashamed, for that matter. And... Anyway, I get out of the hospital. I go to church with my dad, and another clergyman comes out of that service who I'd known for 20 years. He was my, I went, I went to school at that school that was next to that church. And he goes, Kevin, how would you like to come and talk to our seventh and eighth grade class about your experience this Good Friday? And it was seven months after my attempt. I'm wearing my back brace, still walking with the cane. I can barely get around. And I was like, oh, Father, I don't have a speech, and I wouldn't know what to say. And my father, who's 6'1", shoved me forward and said, he'll do it. I was like, what are you doing, old man? He's like, you'll do it. We need closure. I was like, you need closure. I need to go home and lay down. Yeah, I'm going to fucking But I go on I go on Good Friday, and I deliver a presentation that I'd written until 3 in the morning that, that day. <laughs> and and um, it was 17 pages long, 45 minutes to read aloud. And I thought to myself, as I was reading this thing, as I'm dropping page by page to the floor with my thumb, holding my cane with my back brace, I'm like, who is this helping why am I doing this? What a waste of time. And immediately upon finishing that last page, eight kids' hands raise up. And I'm like, oh, they're interested in what I had to say. And all these great, intuitive, intelligent, intelligible, wonderful questions about you know, the key of life, or, you know, whatever. And, and, um, and I realized right then there was an impact made. But then, a couple weeks later, Monsignor Harriman, the priest, asked me to come back to the rectory. So I hobble up a two-mile hike to the rectory. My dad was at work. And I go and I pick up a manila envelope filled with 120 letters from 120 kids. And six of them were from kids who were actively suicidal. And they were going to get the help they needed because the kids were minors under the age of 18. 
and the teachers had screened the letters and made sure that they would be put into safety. And when that happened, I knew I had to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. I knew I had to tell my story for the rest of my life to the best of my ability to try to help people. And that's how we did it. You know, first it was me talking to school after school after school. And then, it, you know, and then I started talking to the military, law enforcement, the FBI, and then like conferences. And it just it grew, it grew and grew and grew. And then I went on this journey with my wife and we, we built, built it out and made it so much more than it was. And then we created a multimedia company to create this film. And that now I've got the channel on YouTube and we do all that because we're trying to help people in different ways. And one of the fastest ways, as you know, to scale a message is through online video media. It's like the fastest way to reach anybody right now. Yeah. And we get letters from as far as Peru, Africa, China, and Japan saying that our videos are saving lives. I'm not claiming that. I'm not owning that. I'm saying people are writing into us saying right. that they watch a video, and you know this, that changes yeah. or saves their life for the rest of their life. Or if, they, if, they're, if they're feeling on a bad day, they go back and they watch that same video. And that's like, that's a gift. Like, why, why, why not keep making those kinds of videos if you're going to have that kind of impact? You know, th that's what this life is about. It's about giving back. Absolutely. I mean, that's why, I like, when I, when I started getting into uh, actually filming video longer for my content on YouTube and I started getting a response from people, like, that's when I really started to see, like, oh, fuck, like, this is actually helping people and I'm not just filming, like, fitness content or workout stuff or, like, crazy Instagram videos. Um, was the response that I would get from, you know, messages and DMs or emails. And then also in person when I would meet people and the stories that people would tell me, that's when I was really like, oh, fuck, like, I love this. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what really makes me happy. And like I said, that's why when I talk about my father's passing, that it took me, you know, 20 some years, 20 years, basically, because I kind of figured out when I was like, you know, four years ago when I was 26, how much I really enjoyed it. Um, it took me 20 years to realize oh shit, the reason why this happened to me in my life, which was my question my entire life, was for that. Oh, brother. I'm sorry, brother. It's all right. Oh, I was trying not to do this. No, it's real, man. Yeah. We have tear ducts for a reason. You know? Why a lot of yeah. necessity. Fuck. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that's 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 it, man. Like, yeah. it's uh, when I think about it, it and I'm grateful because like the life, the life that I'm able to live now is so fucking like, you, I would have never thought that oh, I'm gonna be able to live a life that I always dreamed of because like I made some fucking videos and like shared my experience through those videos and it's literally how I felt, um, and my thoughts on it. And it's crazy to think that, um, you know, you're going to reach people and then they're going to come tell you in person, like, oh man, like I didn't, you know, I didn't kill myself because I watched this video and now my perspective is different in life. And it's, you, I never thought, I never like, oh, I'm going to make this video because I'm going to do that. I was just like, okay, well, I'm doing YouTube and I want to be able to connect with people. I'm just going to tell my story. I'm going to share my life with people and why, like what I think about it. Yeah. And then having people come tell you, is, it's like, what the fuck? Like, hey, it's a... I don't even know how to describe it because it, my, it, I don't know. It trips me out even to this day that like I'm, I was able to build all this stuff and like have all these things through just like telling a story yeah. that that I went through. And I guess I've always been really, really, um, I don't know, lucky to be able to explain things a certain way because 
even before I got on YouTube, I always tended to have conversations with people one-on-one like this, like how we do this podcast. Yeah. And I would, I would talk to people about just life or my life on a one-on-one conversation. And I, I, I remember though, witness when I was like 18, 19, I always felt so good when I did it. And there was no filming, there was no anything. It was just like, this shit just makes you feel good. And I was, yeah. I would leave the conversation like feeling energized. So it was, it's interesting because on YouTube, um, a part of me was like, I wanted to do videos like that. I wanted to talk and share with people because I felt good afterwards. And then it, the, the crazy thing is like, in doing that, then you help like, however many thousands of people feel good as well. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, I don't know, I guess what, I, what I'm trying to say is like, I, the, the reason why I'm so grateful is like, we have these platforms. And like you said, and we were talking earlier about the suicide rates and it's trending, it's going up. And I think it is largely in part due to like technolo- technological advances and the fact that like everything can be so like, oh, I don't have to go there, I don't have to do that, I can just get it here, I can be a little bit more disconnected. At the same time, it has also created like such an ability to connect. Yes. So it's all about like, what are you looking for? And that's why I think where the real magic can happen with people is like, if you're, if you're on it and you're looking in a way, in a sense, like I was talking earlier as well about like outwards, what people have and what you don't have versus like, you can look for certain things that you know, maybe an inspirational video by, you know, some, some motivational business person like Gary Vee or someone, someone yeah. inspirational like David Goggins. Like you could, you could look to these people, someone like you, right. Where you're like, you gotta try to find it. It might be a little bit harder to find because it it's not as viral and it's not as yeah. like clickbait and yeah. it might not have as many views because it, it's not like what people are clicking on, but there's so many like magical things like that where you can get so much from it on the internet. Yeah. Like, so if someone sees this podcast, we're like, damn, I, I, I'm, I'm glad I found it. Yeah. You know? um, so that's why I'm like, I'm also so grateful. Like, it's when I think about my life and the fact that I've been able to make a living through doing this is, is crazy because there's, it can be so um, double-sided. Yeah. Like, like a double-sided sword, like it's going to be great, it can be shit. It's kind of like what you look for. Right. And, and, that, and what you need. Yeah. And that's why I was asking questions earlier about like, how did you find that? Um, Cause the, the thing that is really significant when I talk to you is like, you, you speak about your, 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 your team, you know, your family, your support group, the people around you. And then they're, they're, they're a big part of you being able to continue. Yeah. Right. Not a lot of people have that. Yeah. Not enough people have uh, that. Yeah. And so it's like, that's very hard to find. It's very hard to create. Um, I think with the internet, I think you, you can find people who maybe like yourself who have more of a team and, and, and from the outside looking in can kind of in a different way be your team for the person listening. Yeah. They're like, I don't have someone. You can follow someone like you or someone you find inspirational and, and maybe look for that type of content that they make that, that resonates with you if you don't have that. But also I, I brought that up because I wanted to say um, when you uh, like maybe before you realized the team thing, like, it, was there a moment where you felt um, like alone in it? Yeah, man. I felt alone for a long time because, but mostly because I wasn't being honest in my struggles. I was keeping it inside and I was silencing my pain. When I did that, I ostracized everybody around me and I alienated my family and friends. I pushed them away. There was a time in my third cycle stay when I came out Nobody would house me. Nobody would take me in. They were like, nah, Kevin, you, you, this is the third time. You need to get well on your own. I had to go to a halfway home for the mentally ill. It was the worst. It was a part of the worst period of my life when I'm in the halfway home and I don't know anybody. 
and I'm rooming with I, 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 my 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 bunkmate is a guy who's like would, would beat me up in the halfway home. Like it, it was it was not a fun or pleasant experience in the beginning, and I felt I felt without my world, and um, it was devastating for some time to to try to have hope. I had none. And then, you know, I, I, I found the love of my life and everything changed. Before you found the love of your life, yeah. though, what got you through that? Because this, the thing that I'm, I'm trying to, to, to relate is that I know there are going to be people out there who might watch this and be like, I don't have that. Right. I don't have right. the love of my life. Right. I don't have this. That's, maybe that's what I'm even extra stressing over or sure. that could be the cause of some issue in their life. Because I know a lot of people feel alone. Yeah. I know that's like there's so many times when I feel that way. It's, yeah. it's like I know that it's a relevant thing, and I, I kind of wanted to get your perspective on it. Like before you found that, how did you keep yourself going? Hard yourself? work, hard work. Yeah, I was I was in the in the halfway house gym every day. When I wasn't in the gym, I was running down the line steps. When I wasn't running down, I was running up them. It's extra skill. I was exercise. Exercise helped me a great deal. I was doing everything I could to better my brain health. I was reading every book I could about bipolar disorder. Yeah. I was I was taking my recovery very seriously and I was I was changing the course of my, my brain waves and brain patterns just by working hard. Um, and through I thought, learning through like applying it through education was yeah. a tool and when I was alone I realized that if I just fought for myself and had value in myself and if I learned to love myself, learned to love that I have true value for me. That was the greatest lesson was that I can't rely on people outside of me to hold me up. I have to work to hold myself up. And, and that's the thing that people are, are missing. They're lacking. Yeah. They're lacking in their ability to fight. And I think that if you can look at your pain from the outside in and assess that everyone's going to go through pain, but pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. It's a choice. We're given that term by clinicians when we, when we first are diagnosed. Suffer. You're yeah. suffering with this and you're suffering with that. I decline that nonsense. I deny it. We are not suffering unless we choose to suffer. I believe that, because you know the pain I told you I was going through, right? Skin pain, everything, right? Yeah. You know, pain is inevitable. It's coming for all of us if it hasn't already. But suffering is optional. It's a choice. And if you make suffering a choice, you can always, always defeat the pain. Because you can decide. You decide. It's yeah. your choice. You so own you, 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 so you, you own it. You, you own it. You own it. Don't let it own you. You know, you can say that's easier said than done, but it's done. Yeah. It's done all the time by people all around the world. Look at look at Oprah. Look what happened to Oprah. I mean, this is a person who who was abused as a child, and she could have easily taken uh, a route uh, of, of, of a devastating life, but she chose to let her pain build her. Yeah. And look where she is. Tyler Perry, same thing. Tyler Perry, same thing. Yeah. And this happens countless times all over the world. So if you... It, you, you, you you're you, talking about two billionaires who came from... Yeah. Came, came, garbage. Came from nothing. Yeah. And, you know, um, I'm not comparing myself to them. I'm just right, saying, right. I'm saying... I'm saying we can get that inspiration from anywhere in the yeah. world and it's out there. Absolutely. Go for it. Find it. Find yeah. your find find your 
Oprah, you know? And that's why I meant to talk about the whole social media thing. Like this is, it's, there's, there is such a really good, like the fact that we're here having this conversation today to talk about this, to shed light on it, yeah. to like put it out there, yeah. is because of this. Yeah. Like otherwise we may have never crossed paths. Exactly. And people, someone listening might not have the opportunity to hear from you. Yeah. So like, yeah, I mean, this is such a, this is such a hard podcast to like, how do you wrap this up? There's no, there's, it's like, how do you make it one thing? How do you make it like, like, well, a, like, what would you say? This is such a, one of my cliche questions. Obviously, <laughs> I'm going to ask it regardless. Go for it. What would you say? It gets funny. Like, it's funny. It's because it's the kid, little kid questions when they raise their hand is the key to life. Like, what's the most important thing in life that you've learned through your experiences? I think the most important thing in life for anyone, for everyone, to survive their pain is even in the darkest of your hours, to have that light at the end, to have that hope. Have that hope re reside there because if you, can, if you can look down the darkest of tunnels and recognize that the light exists, you just can't see it yet, you can keep moving forward because you always know eventually you're gonna get there. Yes. So whether you have the hope or not, have the damn idea of hope. Make sure that that exists within your, your reality because if you don't have the idea of it, you can't search for that, that light. But if you have the idea of it, you always recognize that that light is, it exists. I just have to walk far enough to reach it. And that was my motto for a long time. I, I realized that if I could just be here tomorrow, forget, forget the rest of the year, forget the rest of my life. If I could just be here tomorrow and every day after that, one day at a time, a 24-hour period, I can, I can live well for that one day and not, live, not think past it. Like, yeah. if that's me living in the present, that's how I get through every every day is just to be here tomorrow. And um, that, that has resonated with people all around the world. We coined that, I coined that phrase a few years ago and people all around the world have taken it. And be here tomorrow. Be here tomorrow, yeah. And, and, and it's our hashtag and it's what we use and it's on our shirts and everything and people love it and, and it's been repeated all over the world. And um, you know, we did the Be Here Tomorrow video with Logan Paul, yeah. your buddy. And, and that was amazing. That, that was a video that has now been seen by more people than any suicide prevention PSA in the world. And it's, it's been credited with saving hundreds of lives. Um, and, you know, people write in to say it still saves their life. If we can, as a YouTube community, and I'm a small guy on YouTube, our, my channel is really tiny, but it's having an impact. If we can, as a YouTube community, put out more content that helps people instead of hurts them, we'd be a better role for it. That's a fact, for sure. Yeah. Well, I look forward to making more content with, like that with you, man. Hell yeah, brother. I appreciate you coming. I appreciate you being here, for Thank sure. Thank you for having me. sharing the story. I'm glad we got to do it, finally. You know, we have deep gone back and forth on schedule, and I was in the hospital. I know you were sick. I'm so sorry. Now. I felt bad about it. No, it's all good, but I, it's, it's been an honor to talk to you, man, and I Thank appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you too, man. Like, great. Yeah. Great. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you, um, Guys, if, if you do me a favor, drop a good review, drop a star, drop a like, comment, subscribe. Check out Kevin. On all platforms. YouTube.com slash Kevin Hines. Hit subscribe, click the bell. And at, at Kevin Hines story on all social media. Do you have a podcast? Uh, podcast is coming out in a few months. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So maybe if you see this video in a few months, just probably search them on. Uh, maybe. Is it going to be on YouTube? You yeah, on YouTube. And, uh, YouTube and hopefully. Is it going to be on your same YouTube channel? Same YouTube channel. Okay, so. YouTube.com slash Kevin Hines. And your Instagram? Instagram is at Kevin Hines story. Check them out if you guys want some more inspiration. Your story is, is, is amazing, man. Like. 
I, I can't. I gotta say this one more time, but the odds of that are insane. <laughs> For sure, play a lot. Play a lot. Like, we get a lot of tickets. No, I really like. You have never done it. No, I bro. The seal thing is for sure. You need to do a lottery. And the fact that you came back in the fucking seal. There was. A I seal named. There. I named him Herbert. 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 Shout out to Herbert. Shout out to Herbert. Fuck him. What a seal, <laughs> dude. Shout out to Herbert. Thank you guys for all the love. Um, it was a pleasure, man. Thank you, brother. For real. Thank you. Thank you. Margaret and I love sharing stories of people who have triumphed over incredible adversity. For more content and inspiration, go to kevinhindstory.com or visit us on all social medias at Kevin Hines Story or on youtube.com slash kevinhines. Hines.